You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> this is the Next Level Podcast, a place for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and dreamers to be empowered for an abundant kingdom life. Here's your host, Michael McIntyre. Welcome, everybody. This is Michael McIntyre, your humble host of the Next Level Podcast. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we have an amazing woman. That's right. She's a wonder woman. <laughs> she is wonder woman. <laughs> she is amazing. Her name is Carrie Kellerman. And she is a wife and mother who homeschooled her children from uh, kindergarten through high school. She holds a bachelor's degree of fine arts from Baylor University and a master's of biblical studies from the Dallas Theological Seminary. She has long served the ministry of Young Life, both as a staff member and as a volunteer. She and her husband, Russ, have three grown children, Cooper, Casey, and Katie, and reside in Dallas, Texas. Carrie, welcome to the Next Level Podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's an it's an <laughs> honor to have you here. And it's funny because uh, I was just, you know, we were tra- chatting. Brecca and Stacy and I were talking the other day. And, and Brecca says, you know, because I know how fanatical you are about politics. And I remember, um, uh, and I'll have to go back. I'll have to tell our audience how we actually met because uh, – both of our daughters, uh, or I think two of your daughters and both of ours were in the same dance studio yes. uh, at Dallas Ballet, Dallas Ballet for years. Mm-hmm. And you and mm-hmm. Stacy became friends sitting there in the proverbial lobby waiting <laughs> for your daughters to finish <laughs> dance. Right. And then... And then Stacy and I would throw at the end of the year after the big recital, the big brouhaha, we'd host mm-hmm. a party at our house celebrating everybody. And I remember you and Russ coming over and you and I hit it off right away. Of course, we started talking politics and <laughs> you, I found, you found out that I was a right winger and you're a right winger. <laughs> and then oh, that yeah. was it. <laughs> and the conservatives united, and uh, which was really cool. So, uh, yeah, so we are sitting around last week talking about this and thinking, you know, we've got we've got some really cool people and you know this election's coming up and it's getting mm-hmm. heated and it's kind of crazy and Brecca says you should talk to Mrs. Kellerman she's got an amazing following and we know that you're a, a you know Trump 2020 I'm a Trump 2020 I know I don't get very political on this podcast but I think the timing's right because this a week from mm-hmm. today as this podcast is released as we're going to the polls and already almost 30 million people have voted in this absentee voting and mail-in voting so um and carrie the other thing that's really cool with you that we learned is that you're writing this book on homeschooling i did yeah so tell us give us your background because i know you've got a huge background a christian background and and you've got these amazing children i've met your children and they, they all turned out amazing and what prompted you to get into the homeschooling arena Oh, gosh, you know, it started before I was even a parent. Um, There were little seeds planted in my mind along the way that said, there's got to be a different way other than a classroom to educate your kids, because I just as a student was not a good fit for a classroom. Um, I would be interested in something and I wanted to follow that interest uh, till the end. And, you know, according to the schedule, it was time to move on. So I just was not 
real, I, I made good grades. My teachers were wonderful. There's nothing wrong with the classroom. It just was not for me. And so I began to look around, even as a student, uh, isn't there something else out there? Isn't there another way to do this? Um, for example, when I was a kid, Nadia Comaneci became a legend mm. as a gymnast at the 76 Montreal Olympics. And That's I right. was taking some gymnastics at the time. And I thought, how did she get that good? Like, how does she fit becoming an Olympic gymnast into her school schedule? Because I thought about mine. It took up most of my day. And they mm. did a little video package on her and said that she spent seven to eight hours a day in the gym. And she was with a private tutor for two hours and got her schoolwork done. And I'm like, two hours? That's all it took? <laughs> and I started thinking about my own school day. And I started thinking, well, yeah, there's a lot of things going on in my school that weren't school related or instruction related. There are a lot of extras. And so to think, even as a young child, that school could be done in less time, that was a seed that was planted in my mind. So just little so things along the way. Um, another big one for me, well, a couple of things, but one of them was I took a creative writing class when I was uh, pursuing my master's degree. And they, they said that, you know, you've got the, the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain and the right side's creative and the left brain's a little bit more mechanical. And they said that most education is geared towards the left brain. And mm. it kind of, this creativity that's a natural part of a child. I mean, you don't have to teach them how to draw or paint. They're just naturally creative. But somehow or another, we lose that in, yeah. the, uh, in, the, in the process of being educated because our education leans left brain. And even back then as a 20 something, I thought, oh no, if I have kids someday, I don't want the create the creative side of them to get squeezed out by their education. So there That's was, so there was just something about, gosh, there's gotta be a better way. I, I, I want to preserve the creativity of my kids. And then of course, as you know, history has become revised. And that no was another kidding. big one for me was being able to pick their history books and to teach them what I thought was important for them to know. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, when I went, when I was in my twenties at Baylor, I got to study in London for a summer um, and I was taking history and I was taking English and I could, I recognized a lot of the poets and monarchs and things that were buried in Westminster Abbey. But I walked right past the statue of someone I learned about years later when I started homeschooling. And that person was William Wilberforce. He was mm. the member of parliament that ended slavery in the entire That's British right. empire took him That's about right. 20 years to do it, but he did it. And I didn't know who he was at the time. So years later, when I went back with my kids, we went, we beelined to find the statue of this man. And I thought, what a difference between my two visits to this Abbey. I, and it was all because of what I knew about history. And somehow William Wilberforce slipped through the cracks of my education and I was unaware of who he was. So isn't it amazing? Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, as you're acutely aware, the 1619 project, oh, right. That yes. New York times came out with recently, yes. you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of revisionist of actual history, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you know, for, the, and so with that, I mean, you know, all right. So you're blessed to be living in Texas. Yes. 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 Because Texas is one of those States uh, that you are allowed to homeschool your children without hardly any. Correct. Regulation from the state there's or the zero. government. It can't, you, you don't even have to, zero. You don't even have to tell them you're homeschooling. 
it, I, it just, I just love that because yeah. that's true federalism. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's when, when the state gets to govern itself mm -hmm. and which it should. Right. Right. Just like, you know, uh, you know, God willing, if Roe versus Wade ever gets overturned, let it go back to the states. Right. Right. And it, cause it's not a federal issue. It's a state issue. And so, uh, and then that, you know, that's just what, in my opinion, I just think federalism works, yes. you know, and it, you know, and I just think it's the way it's supposed to be. So with that here in Texas, so, okay. So you've got this bug and you think, man, I need, you know, this, this, this gymnast, this famous gymnast, two hours, she knocks it all out and she's smart and she's doing great. So there's a lot of wasted time. In other words, mm -hmm. in school mm -hmm. uh, for things that might not be so important. Well, people might say on the other side of the fence, well, yeah, but the social skills, the social things. Now, look, I've met your children. They're amazing. They're they're total social butterflies. You know, they're <laughs> but and and listen. You know, we we homeschooled Bria, Brecca, our youngest, uh, after mm -hmm. eight or after fifth grade. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, in fact, she went to college when she was sixteen. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we get it. And so, and I think you know, our daughters both went to the same school for a while, the same college for a little bit. Yeah, so I get all that. So tell our listeners though how how you manage that end of the social, so to speak, uh, uh, deficit, if you will, yes. which I don't think there is one, but how, how did you, how did you maneuver that situation, Carrie? Okay. For, for, this is my most asked about question. It's the one that everybody wants to know. What about socialization? So first right. let's look at the definition of socialization. It talks about in the Merriam-Webster dictionary about the, the training of a child in the rules, habits, and in the values of a society. So when you're the parent and you're spending a majority of the time with your child, they're learning those values from you. But when you put them in a classroom setting and there's a one teacher to dozens of kids, those kids are rubbing elbows with their peers more than they are the teacher. And they're picking up mm -hmm. social cues from their peers and not the teacher. So my question back to parents who are concerned about socialization, I ask them this, who do you want teaching your child the rules and the behaviors and the values of the society? Others people, other people's children or you. So Good. that's the way I address it. And the other part about socialization is somehow we got into this idea that socialization means that kids are rubbing elbows with kids of their own age. Well, when is that else? When else is that ever going to happen in their adult life? When are you ever going to be grouped by your age as an adult? Probably not until you enter a retirement center. But socialization <laughs> is learning how to react and uh, relate all to people of all different ages. Diversity, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I, yeah, I haven't even thought about that. And that's so, uh, that's so impressive that you look at it that way because it is true. I mean, you know, a whole group of seventh graders – uh, you know, there's a lot of angst going on. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, they might need a mentor at that point. It might be, you know, 11th grader. And also then they can also mentor the fourth grader, yes. you know, which gives them, which gives them some leadership skills. That's in, exactly in essence. Exactly what I uh, talk about in uh, that chapter of my book. Um, I look at the old one room schoolhouses. Now my granddad, mm -hmm. my mom's dad went to a one room schoolhouse in rural East Texas. And when he was super bright, he grew up to become a surgeon. But as a little kid, the teacher would get him, would teach the younger kids their lesson, get them busy working on something. And then she would teach the older kids. And then she would enlist the older kids later 
to help the younger kids with their work and basically turning the older kids into tutors for the younger kids. Now, what happens to a teenager or an older child when you give them responsibility or the high expectation of teaching a younger kid? Well, first of all, older kids love to tell other kids something they know that the other kid doesn't, okay? But you've also give them, given them a position of responsibility and usually older kids will rise to that expectation. They love totally. having being given a, a position of authority. So they're, they're tutoring the younger kids. They're on their best behavior because they've been given a high expectation. And the younger kids who love to mimic the older kids are now copying the older kids who are on their best behavior. And everyone's behavior so is brought up. Yeah, a rising tide raises all boats. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens in that situation. And, you know, and they do. Children love to be long to give more responsibility mm -hmm. and feel grown up or feel responsible. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's that's an amazing point. So, all right. So what happens if you live in California? What happens if li you live in New York? What happens if you live in Pennsylvania or, uh, or you know, a, a highly governed state? How do people get into the homeschooling? Is there a an association or somebody or something that they can connect with to learn the rules of the game and get guidance for those that want to homeschool their children? Absolutely. It is legal in all 50 states, but to find out each regulates it a little bit differently. Um, some require a letter of intent. Um, some require, if you pull your kids out of school uh, to homeschool, there's, there's a process there. It depends on the state where you are, but one of the best places mm -hmm. you can go to find out what the rules are in your state is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and it's hslda.com. And you can go and click on your state and find out exactly what's required of you um, to homeschool your children in your state. That's awesome. And so do you recommend uh, homeschooling your kids from K through 12? Do you have a certain period of time that's better, you suggest, or what's your experience in that, Carrie? Well, I've seen it done all different ways. I homeschooled my kids from the beginning, from the get-go. They never knew anything different, and that's awesome. If you can do that, that's great, but I also saw moms who wanted to change course midstream. They had kids that were in second, third, or even higher grades, and they decided, boy, this just isn't working for us, and they pulled the kids out of school. Well, there is a big shift there because kids are used to the classroom environment. And so there's usually recommended a period of uh, de-schooling. You de-school your kids and you've got mm -hmm. to make them aware that we're, we're going to do things different, but we're going to do it different. Uh, we're we're going to, we're going to play hooky from school <laughs> and we're, <laughs> we're going to basically. So what you're doing is you're, you're tutoring your kids. It's like a private tutorship. It's not classroom. So there's a lot of perks to doing things in a tutor relationship than in a classroom relationship. For example, tests and grading. That's designed for a classroom. That's designed for a teacher who has multiple students so she can keep track of what they're doing and how much material they know. But a parent doesn't have, a, it's not a big deal to know exactly what your, your children know and what they're doing and what they're involved in because there's, not, there's only a few of your kid, your own kids. For example, when a child in a classroom has read a book, they usually are required to write a book report about the book so that they can prove to the teacher that they read it. Well, you don't need to do that with your own kid. What you can do is a process mm. called narration and you as the parent, you become the student, the parent becomes the teacher and they love that. And you, you say, tell me about the book you just read. And now all of a sudden the child's having mm. to think they're having to develop, remember the story. They're having to develop a train of thought. 
they're having to decide what to tell you and what not to tell you and put the events in the proper sequence. They are learning how to think right before your eyes. And you're taking away all that left brain activity, grammar, writing, spelling, you're taking all of that away and you're just getting them to think with their right brains, the whole story, the big picture, like landing a helicopter down in the meadow. Instead of starting at the roots, you're starting from the uh, overview. And this is very helpful for the kids. It keeps them from getting frustrated and it helps them to interject their own interpretation of the story, put their own personality into it. And in that process, they're internalizing it in a way a book report can't do. That's really, I love that analogy. That's so, uh, yeah, I can see that because then it makes it learning. It makes the book come alive and they're excited about it. They're interested. And the next assignment or the next book that they choose to read or you give them, Mm -hmm. they'll be even more excited to to share that book. So what, uh, all right. In your experience, Carrie, did you come up with your own curriculum? Did you have, I mean, because you're educated, uh, not everybody's blessed with the education that you have. So if somebody's out there, you know, say, listen, I just, you know, I took a year of college. I don't have a lot of experience in education. What, what is there a train track to get on or, you know, yes. to, to pull out? I know that I know Stacy, you know, we did sunlight, I think for a little bit. Uh, and I know there's several different things that you can do that are relatively inexpensive. Some are even free, mm-hmm. my understanding. So tell our, our listeners, you know, what do you suggest for people to do if they, you know, if they don't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or, or they're kind of winging it here, mm-hmm. uh, what do you suggest that the curriculum they should look for or purchase or, investigate? Okay, well, I will first say that when it comes to teaching your child, there are two components. What is being taught and who is being taught? And a lot of parents get a little intimidated because they feel like, well, gosh, I'm not an expert. Uh, I'm not a professional teacher. But when it comes to your child, you are the world's leading expert. And that's more important than what is being taught. It's who is being taught. So you can, the the beauty of homeschooling is you can find a curriculum that meets your child's uh, special learning style um, or that meets their interests the best. And again, it's not a classroom situation. It is a private tutoring situation. So your ability to customize is really, really terrific. And it's great for the kid. Um, For example, I'll give you an example of my middle child, Cassie. Um, She was, her learning style is kinetic. She's very, uh, of course, that's why I put her into dance school (laughs) because she was so wiggly, but she, (laughs) she started very bright kid. She started reading at age four and she would start sitting next to me on the sofa with the book in her lap. But by the time it was over, she was turned around on her back with the book over her head and her feet on the back of the sofa. But you know what? As her mom, Mm. I didn't care. She read that book perfectly. And I didn't Mm. at once tell her to sit still. So that's that's the beauty of homeschooling is you can decide on what you focus on, who your particular kid is, what their learning style is, and find a curriculum that fits, that fits your child and fits your family. Now I use the same, after a few mistakes, trial and errors with some other curriculums, I did find uh, a literature-based curriculum that was inspired by a British educator named Charlotte Mason, who lived in the 1800s, early 1900s. And it's where they use what they call living books as much as possible. A living book is a book that's written by one author and it tells a story. So it involves a character you care about, uh, a plot that pulls you in, 
there's conflict, dramatic conflict, there's meaningful resolution, and there's a lesson to be learned. These are the books that are exciting. And these are the books that used to be the staple of our education until in her day, they started to introduce textbooks. Well, textbooks are Mm -hmm. written by a committee of people with chosen (laughs) bits of information (laughs) and there's no story to it. So the, I chose a literature based, uh, curriculum because I love the stories in my own childhood education. When I look back, I don't recall, I don't remember textbook, any <laughs> textbooks. They just were just big, heavy things that weighed down my pack, backpack. But right. I do remember the stories, um, the, the, the books your elementary teacher used to read you after lunch, um, the Greek mythology unit in junior high, um, the, the professor in college that was expressly uh, adept at telling a good story about history. So all of those stories are what captured my imagination when I was a student. So when I went looking for curriculums, that's what I went, looked for was a literature-based Charlotte Mason inspired curriculum of which Sunlight, S-O-N-L-I-G-H-T is one, but there are many. So um, look into those. I think you won't be disappointed with the stories. So good. If, if, if let me ask you this, let's say you have a a child that you know is mathematically inclined or scientifically inclined just because of their nature, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you just see them, you know, doing experiments in the backyard or in the garage or right. with the dad or the, or they're, you know, they're just, they're solving problems or they're, you know, you can tell like my grandson, I can tell when he's thinking about stuff, it's like he's processing this through an algorithm that he's created. <laughs> I know he is. And I think he's going to be a math genius. So when you see that, Okay, I, I get the literary, you know, the English, and, and which is amazing, mm-hmm. the stories. But is is there curriculum geared towards the mathematics or the scientific? Oh yes, in fact, one of the homeschool companies was created by a science professor, and I believe he was at the University of Iowa. He taught freshman science, and he was he every semester he'd do a little experiment, and he would ask the students to find the question to an answer that was not covered in class and it was not mentioned in the textbook to see what they would do with it. And time and time again, a few students would go to the library or wherever and do the independent research necessary to answer the question. And he became very intrigued with these students and he began asking them what was their uh, primary education. Almost all of them were homeschooled. So these are the kids that have that initiative and they realize my education is up to me. They're not waiting to be told what to do. And they're not waiting on someone else to tell them what they need to know. They take it upon themselves to do it. So uh, given that, there are some terrific science curricula out there for uh, your kids. And if they want to go above and beyond, co-ops are a great way to do that. Co-ops are uh, parent-led little mini schools, uh, micro schools, I guess you call them, where if a parent feels they have a special skill, set in a certain subject they can they can teach at these co-ops and your kids can take those classes as they get older and you maybe feel like you don't have the necessary uh, skills to, to push them where they need to go in that particular subject that's one option and the other option is the dual credit classes at the community colleges now and where we live in dallas when your child gets to age uh gets to be a junior in high school and they're under the they're 18 or younger they can go sit in on a college level class at a community college and they can get both high school and college credit for those classes. 
And those are, that is a terrific thing. I didn't know about until I was sitting on a basketball bleacher with another homeschool mom. And she said, have you checked into, I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. It's, and it's free. (laughs) I mean, the only thing you do is pay for the price of books. So when my son became, I think our daughters did that at the same time. They did it same time, same college. But my, uh, my son went to a university with 27 hours and my middle daughter went with 36 hours done and she finished college in five semesters. So come on, and it's, it it's so, awesome. so much money. Yes, it really. Yes, did. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> hey, all right. So, <laughs> so, all right. I want, I want you to talk to the moms and dads out there that might have to be working all the time. Okay. So they, they're in a full-time gig. They have to work. Are there ways to like, you talked about this co-op, are there ways for parents to reach out to small micro schools that teach, you know, maybe, maybe they're faith-based, they're, you know, they're, they're teaching the way you want to, that they, they don't have themselves time to homeschool, but there's other parents uh, in that vicinity, maybe with, you know, five or six other children that they can participate in the homeschool atmosphere curriculum, if you will. Yes. In fact, that's happening right now, big time in California and also in North Carolina and probably other places too. North Carolina is actually giving a tax credit to the parents who pull their kids out of public school so that their wow. property, the the, uh, the taxes they pay for the public school can now be used by the parents to do things like hire a tutor for maybe, let's say 10 families go in together and there's 20 kids and they hire uh, a tutor to teach the 20 kids. That's that's a that's what you call a micro school. Um, I love it. That's that's a possibility. I, you could even make it smaller than that if you want. And the interesting thing is, if you get that tax credit, which this is where we're headed, because um, this administration is saying that the money should follow the student and not the system. So if we truly get to the place where we are giving parents the money to choose uh, to sp- how to spend their educational dollars on their kids, you could actually pay a tutor uh, with just. Uh, less than 10 kids more than they would make in the public schools yeah that would be a game changer you know (laughs) because the public school system as you know Mm -hmm. as you well and you're you know you've been a part of it you know this Mm -hmm. you know it's gone downhill so long and uh you know and with this the whole new you know you know gender bender bias and everything Mm -hmm. that's going on it's absolutely nuts i know in california you know the train has left the tracks oh gosh yeah I mean, God bless them. I, mm-hmm. I don't even understand it. So, all right, I want to pivot now because I, I, I know your passion's homeschooling. And uh, I want everybody, and I'll, I'll be able to make sure everybody learns how to follow you on Instagram and Facebook because you're going to come out with a website. And you've got a book coming out on, about homeschooling. Yes. Do you have a name for this book yet, Karen? Yes, the name of the book is called Consider Homeschooling. Uh, I will be self as basic <laughs> pretty basic like tells it. you what to do. And it is a why to not so much a how to there's a lot of how to books uh-huh. out there that'll tell you how to homeschool. This is giving you the reasons to do it and trying to give parents awesome. who are looking into this as a viable option for their kids is trying to give them the confidence to do it. So I'm okay. It's a it's a cheerleading book on you. Can That's do, awesome. If and you and it'll do be this, out in four to six weeks, right? Well, hopefully my goal is to get it out by Thanksgiving. So I'm working. Really okay. Hard. All right. All right. And so we're going to follow you on your Instagram and on your, uh, do you, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Yes. My Twitter. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll get all the social media uh, bugs here in just a second. All right. I want to pivot for a second because okay. as you were right in, you know, a week from today, you know, God willing, we're going to elect the president, right? Mm-hmm. Either we're going to reelect Donald Trump or we're going to 
uh, elect Vice President Biden. Mm-hmm. So uh, today's Tuesday, and a week from today, people are going to the polls. Many have already gone to the polls. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I first connected years ago, and we hit it off right away because of our political ideology, because yes. <laughs> we're both pretty <laughs> yeah. conservative fanatics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll tell tell me why. Let's say we have an undecided person out there. I know we have a lot of people in a lot of different countries that are mm-hmm. listening right now, but maybe we have one or two undecided people out there. Why, why would anybody want to vote for the orange mean man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will put it this way. There, we have two p- political parties, but only one, uh, both of them believe in sin but only one of them believes in forgiveness. Mm. And I see the the Republican party as the one that believes in giving people a second chance. They're the one, Donald Trump in particular is a second chance guy. He's the one that um, got people, you know, the first step act where there's prison reform. And, you know, that first woman that came out, Alice Johnson, who was supposed to be doing what 40 some odd years for one bad phone call. And she had already served 24. He got her out of that thing and said, I mean, she was leading. She was amazing at the RNC when she She was incredible. She was leading Bible studies inside prison. And they're like, this woman doesn't need to serve 20 more years of this sentence. And they gave her a second chance. This, I, I just love all of the second chances, but here's the thing. The second chances involve grace. And I'm looking at Donald Trump. He has a little bit of a checkered past, all right? His, he's <laughs> yeah. a little bit like a Samson. His weakness is beautiful women. But here's something yes. I'll say about him. Both of his ex-wives enthusiastically endorsed him to be president. That's, that's, right. that's kind of impressive. And then he said something in the fall of 2015 before he, you know, as he was just starting to run. And he said, look, I'm no angel but I'll do right by the American people. And Amen. I thought, you know what? That's grace right there. I, I can look past this man's past and mm. look at what he, what he, who he is and what he is now. Isn't that the way I want to be seen by other people? Do I want to be defined by my past? I don't. No, thank I've, you. Made, <laughs> I've made mistakes, I, but do, is that, is that, does that, do my mistakes define me? You know, nope. so here, here's what happened when he first started running and pe- some people got a little bit, oh gosh, you know, he's, he's not very presidential and his tweets sound kind of mean and this kind of thing. Uh, I thought, you know what, this, uh, this is a, a, an interesting situation. And God, I think, calls mm. people whom he prepares for the battle they're in. Um, just like so Moses good. was in the wilderness for 40 years. He, God was preparing Moses to lead those people and take them through that same wilderness for the next 40 years. So you It's have, so true, Carrie. Yeah, you've got yeah. Donald Trump, and you, he, he is a fighter, you know, but we needed somebody that was yes, going to be a fighter this is. time around because every, the entire world's aligned against him. But I feel that he was uniquely prepared by his um, I do too. skill and set, I, life experiences. I, I, mm-hmm. Yes. And I think you make a valid point. You know, uh, I think, you know, if you look through the Bible and, you know, I mean, listen, Gideon wasn't prepared to be the greatest warrior out there. I mean, Gideon was reluctant, didn't even want the gig, right, right? Right. You know, in fact, he had, he had to have two major miracles performed <laughs> before he took the job. Right. You know, it's like, man, this guy's testing God's patience. <laughs> but, <laughs> but here comes Donald Trump and it reminds me a little bit, David, you know, was not the greatest 
father in the world. David was not the greatest husband in the world, mm -hmm. but David was a man after God's own heart, yeah. right? And he was the man for the job. And, you know, it took 20 years before David was ready. And I just feel that in this moment, and for me, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we're going to have a, a another conservative on the Supreme Court. Yes. I think that's important. Very I important. Do. I'm a constitutionalist yes. and I'm a textualist. I believe that's the way it should be. Now, the other thing is, I do think that he's a bull in a China shop, but it needs to be a wrecking bull mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. You know, these people that come in and become politicians for 30 years, mm -hmm. are you kidding me? Yeah. That is crazy. You know, I think, you know, it should be, in my opinion, a good mark on your resume to serve in Congress mm -hmm. or the Senate. Mm -hmm. And then you become a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company or what have you. But but so what happens here if, if Trump gets reelected, if Donald Trump gets reelected, uh, and, you know, as you and I talked earlier, I pray that it's over by November 4th. Oh, I do too. I, I do too. <laughs> but if not, then it's going to be circa 2000 again, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to take a look at the, all that. But what happens if Donald Trump gets reelected? And also, let me know what you think what happens if he doesn't get reelected. Okay, if he gets reelected, I think he's even bolder and does more uh, to preserve the American constitution and the American values and way of life than he did in his first four years. I think he had his hands tied uh, quite a bit by, first of all, a, a, a house that I think thought he was a flash in the pan and they just didn't do much to uh, help him along. They didn't, you know, he had Paul Ryan as speaker of the house and he, they just didn't do a whole lot to help his agenda along. They thought that this, uh, the, this Russian lie was probably true and they were just waiting for this whole little sordid deal to just kind of die out in four years. But it, that's, not, that's not what happened. I think the biggest thing for Trump is number one, he came into Washington DC as an outsider and he stayed an outsider. That's, that's true. pretty amazing and why, why so? And I think it's because he didn't need anyone's money. He came in having made his own and so he's a man who can't be bought. So he's t staying true to the reasons he came into office. And again, reluctant leader like Gideon, he didn't want the gig. He kept hoping somebody else would do it. And finally he thought, That's okay, so I guess I have to do this myself. But he was a reluctant outsider who came to DC knowing he had the skill set, knowing that he had the life experience to make it better for everybody, whether they voted for him or not. And I think a lot of people yeah. see that. And you know, one of the things that really, and I, you know, listen, I voted for him. I prayed that he come in. And the main reason I wanted him in the White House was for the Supreme Court appointees. Mm -hmm. Now, once he got in there, I saw that he did something that was remarkable to me. He did what he said he was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I've been, a, I've been a poli sci fanatic since, you know, 1977. And I've been watching this. I voted for Ronald Reagan. I loved Ronald Reagan. I loved the whole aspect of, I, 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 follow, I followed the politics, you know, religiously. And to see somebody to come in there and actually do what he says he's going to do was remarkable in this short period of time. I mean, anybody, you know, for the last 40 years, every president had said that they're going to move the uh, uh, the deal in to, to Jerusalem, the embassy to Jerusalem yeah. and take it from Tel Aviv. Every one of them said it, Democrat and Republican. He just did it. Yeah. You know, and I love the boldness that he did it in. And uh, does he always say the nice things? No. Does he, should he tweet what he tweets? Listen, that's his persona. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not what I would tweet, but look, you know, that's not, you know, nobody's asking me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I don't have, you know, 400 million people following me, you know, just a few million. So uh, I'm not there yet, but, but it's so true. So if he gets reelected, how do you see the economy going? How do you see the Supreme Court going? How do you see the right for life, the pro-life? How do you see that movement continuing? Oh, gosh, I think it's just going to get a major push in the right direction. Um, the Supreme Court, if he gets reelected, we've got a couple of them. I know Clarence Thomas has signaled that he wants to go ahead and retire. So we're going to, you know, we're going to save some spots. We might even gain some spots. I think Breyer is yeah. close to retirement age. So that could be a, man, we could be looking at 7-2 possibly. Yeah. Supreme Court. I, you and know? Clarence Thomas, he's probably one of the most conservative that sits on the bench right really? now. Brilliant man. Absolutely yes. Absolutely brilliant. But he would be smarter than RBG because she was Hillary was going to win president and she she wanted to wait frozen up that's okay keep talking I can hear you okay all right so um you could hear me. Okay. Your screen froze up. I think that um, RGB was uh, wrong to wait it out. She, she rolled the dice and it didn't pan out for her. She could have True. retired under Obama and she, that wasn't good enough for her. She wanted to be replaced by the first woman president. I totally agree with the, with, with the Supreme court issue. Now let's say what happens, God forbid, because, you know, and I know there's going to be some listeners out there that are shocked to hear this, but I am a Trump supporter, hundred percent. Maybe not. Maybe they won't be shocked. What happens if he loses? I don't think America stays the America as it was founded. I think it becomes something else. So what, so, uh, so America is going to lose her uh, original intent. Mm-hmm. You feel if Trump loses this election? Yes, I do. I, I think we're slouching towards socialism and then eventually communism. And that's, that's so scary. It is yeah. scary. I mean, you look at um, Rome. I mean, Rome's kind of a roadmap for where we're headed. You know, people, so it was a republic yeah. and people were in charge and then the bureaucrats became career. <laughs> like you said, they, it, they made a career and then it, it, just the corruption of, of money. Money corrupts. It does. And, you know, absolute power, right? And so I think, you know, when you have people that's been in the Senate for 37 years, it's just unbelievable to me, you know, and you come in there and you're, and you also, by the time you're out of the Senate, you're worth $15 million net, net. Come on. Crazy. You know, right. And it's just, there's something rotten in Denmark in that. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and so, um, yeah, so I, I'm ready for this election to be over. I know a lot of oh, people are. Oh my gosh, it's been a, it's and you know I'm just wanting I want definitive results on November fourth, please Jesus. And uh, yes, I think it would be awesome. I you know the other thing too is you know this genocide on abortion, uh, you know, and it's just amazing how the people can call themselves Christian 
and be pro-choice. Now, yeah. I might ruffle some feathers here, but that's okay. Yeah. Because I don't get it how you can say you can take, you know, a baby that's, you know, nine months old, six months or six months term mm-hmm. and and abort that child. Yeah. And just and and be and and if you're a Christian and if you're, you know, believe in what the Bible says, how can you vote for somebody that supports that? I don't know, but I will tell you, I'm a, this, this is very personal to me and my family, but one of the examples they, that the left gives for abortion, oh, somebody was raped. And so yes. uh, that's, a, that's a place where abortion could be acceptable. And I'm here to tell you, no, it's not because I married Amen. a man who is the result of a rape. Yeah. His birth mother was raped and she decided to put him up for adoption. She chose life. And she put him up for adoption. Here I am married to him. We have three kids that wouldn't exist it's amazing. if she hadn't chosen Thank you, life. Jesus. Yep. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yes, because, yes, that's so awesome, Carrie. That's so sweet. <laughs> and I love that. And uh, I had forgotten about that until you just said that. And uh, that's just the power of the blood of Jesus. Yes. It really is. Uh, all right. So uh, how do people find Carrie Kellerman? Tell us your handles on all of your social media. Oh, I hate to say it, but I'm really just a Twitter animal at this point. Um, so I will give you my Twitter handle. That's where most of my followers are. And I will do my best okay. to get my Instagram Don't account. Don't you have an Instagram account I have too? an account. It's kind of dormant, but for the book, I will get it up and going again. But give us your Twitter account. Okay. So the Twitter account is my name uh, with the last name first. It's Kellerman at Kellerman, K-E-L-E. M-E-N, and Carrie is spelled C-A-R-I, so at Kellerman Carrie. Okay, and your Instagram account. Well, I mean, I, you know, here, here I am. I'm even having to look this up. Oh, that's <laughs> I love that's that. that terrible. Um, no. I'm Carrie Kellerman on um, Instagram, and it's spelled all together, C-A-R-I-K-E-L-E-M-E-N. Okay. All right, cool. All right. And so, and then as soon as your uh, book comes out, we want to, we'll promote that for you. And because I know there's a lot of people listening right now that want to homeschool their children and want to know why to homeschool Mm -hmm, their children. mm -hmm. And maybe they, maybe this book will give them that, um, that comfort that they need. Yeah. Yes. I hope and, so. and, you know, maybe to bring mom and dad together. Cause sometimes maybe mom wants it. Dad doesn't dad wants it. Mom doesn't. Exactly. I mean, you, I know you've come across this before. Well, There's a lot of people that it's in the book because I'm married to a public high school teacher. I know. So we're know. kind of an odd couple that way. So my first job at homeschooling my kids was convincing him to let me do it. So I got, I, know. Pre- I got pretty good at the art of persuasion when it comes to homeschooling. So I convinced him yeah. to let me give it a try. And so all the things I told him are the things I put in the book and things I told other families and it worked on him. So hopefully it'll work on other people. Too. Well, Russ is a sweetheart guy and he's <laughs> smart and he's got a great career as a high school teacher. And uh, you guys have an amazing marriage. And so with, with that, I think it would help out a lot of people. So we're going to pray that your book comes out soon and before Thanksgiving. And so people can get out there because I think it's going to be a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you're doing this publishing and you're going to make this thing available uh, because I just think it's, is such a needed thing, especially with today's environment and with the liberal 
uh, curriculum that's being yes. indoctrinated on our children. Yes. And, you know, I am total in favor of having the money follow, follow the children like you're talking about, because mm-hmm. I think that will create a merit-based system yes. and to where people really it'll raise up and to where people want your son or daughter to come to their, their institution. So there's, they're going to get the best of the best. Yes. yes. And I think that's, you know, that's the free market system for me. So, uh, so Carrie, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for talking politics. Cause I know it's a dicey things for some, but not for you, baby. For I know me, that you're all in. <laughs> I know you're just a Trump girl all the way. Have you always been conservative? Um, yeah, I would say so. I was raised by conservative parents, so I never really had to fight through that or make a big epiphany. But as I got older, it was definitely confirmed, especially having lived in Canada for three years and getting to experience socialized medicine. And this was back in the early nineties when Hillary Clinton was kind of doing things off to the side as first lady and people were wondering, what is she doing? And, uh, having a family in healthcare. So that was all, that's what sucked me into politics and, uh, it's kind of addicting once you get involved. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, and you know, you've come, your your family's a big deal here in Dallas and uh, uh, in the medical field. And your father was CEO of Baylor Medical School Center, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys have got you guys have contributed so much. Tell tell us your affiliation with is it Young Life? Yes, yes, Young Life is a ministry um, that's. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's was started by a man who attended Dallas Theological Seminary where I was fortunate enough to go, but he, he uh, was a youth pastor and kids weren't coming to the church. So he decided to go where the kids were and that was the schools. (laughs) So he followed, he followed the example of Jesus Christ. He went to the people, went to the kids and uh, began to to develop a, uh, just a fun, he, and and here's the the great thing about young life is that um, his motto was it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. And so he made Young Life Clubs fun. There was singing, there were skits, you're throwing Cheez-Its at people with whipped cream on their face. I mean, just all kinds of fun, crazy. And then you tell, and then you tell a kid, you win the right to be heard. And then you tell a kid that Jesus loves them. That's awesome. That's so good. And so you guys are still active in Young Life. Yes. I know you. Uh, I I know that uh, our daughters all have your your family has got, had a big ranch up in Colorado mm-hmm. that you guys mm-hmm. donated. Uh, you're such givers. Your family is, mm-hmm. and so uh, I, and so it, it really always put an impression on me and how how much you all give back, and then how you stand in that gap for. Uh, the conservative woman, the conservative family, the Republican in Texas uh, and fighting for those things and fighting for Trump. And it's, I admire the way you stand up for that, Carrie. And so uh, it's impressive. And I I just like your, you know, I, you know, I know, I think, I I think Stacy and Russ are a lot of common. They don't like to talk about a lot of it. You and I get (laughs) right in there and like, come on, man. You know, I don't know if you listen to Ben Shapiro or not, but uh, I'm, I'm a big Ben Shapiro fan. And so I listened to all that and uh, I just, I just find it all fascinating. And to be alive right now in this time of the 45th president, who I believe God put in the white house uh, is truly an interesting time. Cause the history, the history books are going to look back on this as a special turning point, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. as a, uh, that how maybe the, the Trump administration was a fulcrum for greater things to come yes. in the next generation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think it's crucial that he's reelected and uh, I am praying daily that he is. 
Amen, sister. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Next Level Podcast. You are next level. You are a homeschooler. <laughs> you are a world changer. And your children are amazing. And uh, I'm just thankful for such a short notice that you can get on here and share with our listeners. And uh, any final words to anybody out there that's listening? Oh, gosh, final words. I would say stay as positive as you can. Um, if anything, if you find the news or a personality that de demoralizes you in any way or demotivates you in any way, turn them off and, and just don't let it in your mind and stay positive and stay prayerful is what I would say. That's great. And then I like to ask you this, any books that you're reading right now that are fine, fascinating and what's your favorite scripture you're sitting on right okay, now? Okay. My favorite scripture is first Peter five, seven, which says cast your, uh, gosh, uh, it's the, I like the living Bible version of it, but it basically says, let him have all your worries and cares for he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Mm. So that's, that's, that's my favorite. And, and I like to, I, right I now know. I'm reading, uh, rereading knowledge of the holy by A.W. Tozer. It's just a Come on, favorite, sister. favorite old book. And I've got a lot of old underlines in it and now I'm making new ones because I'm, I'm older. So it's kind of fun to go you back and reread. <laughs> you theologians always, I loved your intellect of you <laughs> theologians. You guys are amazing. All right, Carrie Kellerman, thank you so much for spending time with us on the next level podcast. We appreciate you and uh, Godspeed. And uh, we look forward to November 4. Thank you, Mike. I'm looking forward to it too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hey friends, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all other platforms where great podcasts are found. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the Next Level Podcast. For more information or additional resources, please visit themichaelmcintyre.com.